welcome to the Ghosties Podcast. I'm Christina, a psychic medium. And I'm Missy, a medium-ish. We are besties who look for ghosties. Join us as we talk all things paranormal, go on the occasional investigation, and receive messages from spirit and our spirit guides along the way. This is Ghosties. Oh, hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Ghosties Welcome. Podcast. Uh, so we hadn't been able to be together for a couple of weeks. I know. So we're kind of doubling up on the episodes mm-hmm. today. So you get two this week. Yeah. Today is technically Friday when this one comes out. So we released our super exciting underwater ghost story episode on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Not just ghost story, but like weird, unexplained yeah. phenomena that may or may not have really happened. That's right. Yep. That's right. My baby's crying. Oh, bless him. That's all right. We're going to do this. I know. But we are diving right into Hellier <laughs> Part 3. Diving <laughs> today. in. Yeah. Diving in. Ba-dum-sh. Ba-dum-sh. Sorry, a little diver humor from our <laughs> past episode that we're carrying over. So, yeah, Hellier Part 3. Yeah. All right, so when we left off um, in Hellier Part 2, the crew was in Hellier, and they had gotten a call from their friend Tyler Strand. Who was a paranormal investigator friend. I'm like, didn't we talk about this already? Oh, we did, because we tried to record this, and yes, it wasn't working. it was not. We tried to record the other day, and it was awful, you guys. It was terrible. So we were just like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to have to get Logan in a minute. Okay. Uh, so let's just dive right in. Yeah. While we have the, the time. <laughs> um, so basically, um, where we left off, they talked to Tyler. They get off the phone with him. So then the crew starts speaking to a local named Jack. Um, and Jack, Sparrow? Yeah, I know, Just Jack Sparrow. And Jack had some interesting stories about some prehistoric bird footprints that he had seen in some of the local caves in the area. From what Jack had said, it had been evaluated by one of the universities in terms of the footprint. Um, they had been evaluated by the local universities and deemed prehistoric in nature, but that's as far as the investigation went. The footprint was also slightly different than what had been seen in the Hellier uh, photography um, footprints. So those were three-toed footprints. Whereas what Jack was seeing, uh, he said that it was it looked like two big toes and then a long back toe. So a little bit different than the three-toed footprints. Jack then goes on to relay, I did see a big flying disc when I was like 12 or 13 years old. It was this big silver flying disc with portholes. He relays the story super nonchalant. No big deal. Yeah. Like, it just <laughs> happens all the time. Right. Um, so this was an interesting thing that they saw with the locals of Hellier. They would relay these crazy paranormal stories, but it was like they were super blasé about the stories. Almost like they had become so desensitized to them because it happened so often. Right. Um, but interestingly enough, one of the things that many of the locals said was that a lot of these strange sightings stopped about two to three years ago in Hellier, which kind of matches up with their timeline. While they were there the first time, they were getting all these stories from locals. And then when they went back several years later, they it was like pulling teeth trying to get people right. to talk about it. So again, we're seeing that the locals are super desensitized to the paranormal and high strangeness. Um, so it, it's starting to see this trend. Um, they'll get a lead, and then it'll lead to a dead end. Right. Lead, and then dead end. So again, it started feeling like they were being cosmically teased, almost, in terms of the leads that they were receiving. 
Um, they also started to wonder is how you're one of these flap areas or weak spots in the veil um, where the paranormal has, you know, a higher probability of manifesting itself. And I think so. Um, Greg goes on to say that around this time their cameraman Rashad um, flippantly mentions that there's a way to trace computer IP addresses. Now this is where it started getting pretty juicy for me. Mm -hmm. Immediately the group springs into action. They're grabbing their cameras, their laptops, the emails from David Christie and Terry Rist, and they're looking up instructions for how to trace an email IP address. So Greg plugs in this IP address and he says his heart drops. The IP address pings in Ajax, Ontario, Canada. Um, nowhere near Hellier, Kentucky. Um, and these were from David Christie's emails. Mm -hmm. You know, the 60-some-year-old man claiming to be in Hellier, Kentucky. But his computer is pinging in Ajax, Canada. Um, so immediately Greg says that his heart starts racing. He said that he felt like this was a hoax. Like someone was messing with them. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, like, it, it felt very... Um, like privacy invading when that's where they thought these things were pinging. Um, so at the time when the emails from David began, if indeed the IP address was pinging from Ajax, Ontario, Canada, Greg said that this was really only two hours from where Dana and Greg had been living at the time that the email started. Right. So again, it felt very stalkerish, right. like somebody was messing with them. So they start racking their brains trying to figure out who this was. Dana starts saying, you know, she starts railing off lists of ghost hunters in Canada that don't like her. Um, <laughs> the group starts to worry, like, you know, is someone messing with us? Is someone trying to create this hoax? Um, and is this legitimate? So Carl mentions that they should actually speak to an actual tech person before they get, you know, too upset. Um, who could look at the IP address and actually tell them what they were looking at. So Connor ended up knowing a tech guy who they called at two in the morning to discuss the IP address. So there were three locations that these IP addresses from David Christie were pinging from. One was out of Canada from Ajax, Ontario. One was out of Los Angeles and another was out of the town or another town in California. So this tech guy goes on to say that this isn't unheard of. Emails um, from David Christie started in 2012, so it wasn't that long ago. And the header IP address is showing them where the emails are bouncing from. Um, so basically, when we send an email, that email goes to our internet provider and bounces from the provider to a server. And it all depends on how the internet traffic is flowing at the time. Um, that will determine ultimately where and what server that email will hit and bounce from. So what they noticed and what this tech guy noticed was the IP address came from a VPN, which stands for Virtual Private Network. So essentially what it means is this VPN will create a temporary IP address from your computer or for your computer while you browse the internet. And it creates this random scrambler of IP addresses. To me, that sounds like some dark web kind of stuff, yeah. you know? Um, definitely more tech savvy than a 60-year-old in Kentucky, <laughs> yeah. you know? Absolutely. Um, so the group then wonders what kind of computers have this capacity to create VPNs. Um, and they said, one thing that their tech guy said is this could have come from a university computer, like from a college. Um, or it could have come from some sort of government facility. These are typical places that create these things. Yes. 
So is David Christie an MD because he's a professor at some college? Right, and not like an actual doctor, doctor. Yes, that's one thing that I thought of. Or is David not really David Christie and is he working in some government job as a whistleblower? Um, So the group starts to wonder if David was using a proxy server. Um, They go all over trying to see if they can actually pinpoint where the emails are originating from uh, location-wise. And still to date, they're uncertain where exactly they came from. Um, It is clear to them, they said, that the emails bounced off the Yahoo servers in California. But the bottom line, they said, was they couldn't say for certain that David is from Kentucky, but they also couldn't say that he's not in Kentucky. All they could say was that the IP addresses had been very carefully concealed. It's not usually... And we're back. Here we are. <laughs> the audio cut off all by itself. Go figure. In our usual fashion, so Here bear with are. us. <laughs> anyway, so back to the story. So... The Hellier crew um, is talking to this tech guy. His name is Steve. And Steve ultimately, bottom line, regarding the IP addresses, says that this is a really elaborate sort of thing for the regular layperson to be screwing with you right. in terms of creating these very heavily concealed IP addresses um, and creating, like, you know, having a proxy server and all this stuff. This is not the typical way that. You know, just some stalker that's messing with you is going to right. They're not going to think about any of that, right? Um, so the group is frustrated. They're baffled. Greg, Greg even goes on to say that he was feeling so stressed by the whole thing, like he truly felt like they were being messed with by someone physical, and all he wanted to do was just know what was happening. He said initially he thought that the emails were coming, when he thought that the emails were coming from Canada just two hours away, it felt like a violation. And I agree with him. That yeah. felt very stalkerish. Greg goes on to say again that despite all the craziness and high strangeness, the fact remains what the heck is going on in Hellier, Kentucky? What the heck is going on in Pike County in the Appalachian Mountains? Because this seems to be like a rash of stuff. One of the things that Terry said was, the door is closed, but a window is open. Greg kept running that through his head throughout the investigation. And on some level, the group said that they felt like they had missed what had happened in Hellier. Um, you know, back earlier in, the, you know, their story, they said that paranormal encounters stopped, you know, approximately two years prior to their visit. So again, they felt like they had missed it a little bit. Uh, David and Terry, maybe they're not important anymore, Greg said. Um, Maybe that's just the part of the story that they were focused on at that time. Um, It's interesting. Also, when I was watching this portion of the documentary, I kept seeing the Four of Cups tarot card in my head. For those of you who know tarot, you you will see this, you know, card instantly. But it's this guy sitting, you know, like with his back on this tree trunk. And there's two cups in front of him, and he's got his arms crossed. He's super pissed looking, super focused on these cups in front of him. But there's a divine cloud with a, a cup, you know, kind of hovering in the air next to him. So it's like there's this abundance right next to you, you know, this thing that you should focus on right next to you, but you are so focused on, you know, what's in front of you that you don't even see that there's this other stuff. Right. So that was the kind of vibe that the the group was getting, like they were focusing on the wrong stuff and that they were missing something. 
So ultimately, the group decides to go into the caves of Kentucky to finish their investigation. So much of the case is centered around weirdness involving the mines and caves of, the, of Kentucky. The group said um, it was a super harsh hike trying to get into the caves. Um, the grass was as tall as they were. Um, just very dense, big hike. Dana said that she felt very uneasy. She said you felt like you were never going to get there. And then suddenly this huge archway um, kind of opened up and the tunnel was there. Now, they had received these coordinates from a local, if I rem- remember correctly, in terms of this cave. So yeah, when they yeah, said yeah. that, that made me feel weird, too. Yep. It immediately brought me back to what that local warned Greg about, about be careful where you go and where you follow yep. people around here. So the cave that they went to looked like a giant mine shaft. They said the ceilings were approximately about 30 feet high. It clearly wasn't a place where people were spending time in. They said there was no graffiti on the walls. There was no bottles or trash inside. There was no signs of people that had been partying. They said a lot of times, too, in spaces like this, you will see that there's been rituals performed in those spaces and that there was none of that. It just looked abandoned. Um, They also said that there was no echo. And because of this, it felt unsettling. Think about it. In a tunnel with no <clears throat> echo, that would be really weird. It goes against everything. Yeah. You know? Um, so Connor relays that as they started to walk in, they spotted a metal tin can. Just like mm. the one. Yeah. Just like the one that Connor saw during the Estes Method session. Yep, that's one of the last things he said. Mm-hmm. I see a tin can. He mentioned during that session that he saw a tin can being dropped into his mind it was literally one of the only things in the cave that showed signs of human life. Um, and it was just a regular tin can with no label on it. Um, so it was freaky for Connor and the group that that was one of the only signs of human life in there. Um, this really seemed to upset Connor, to be honest. Um, he was like, you know, who would put a tin can there, especially when this was you know, such an integral part of um, that first Estes Method session. Again, the, the tin can was a huge synchronicity um, that the group was in the right place and that they needed to pay attention to what was coming next. So while they were in the cave, um, Greg decides to do the Gansfield experiment. Um, and that's basically, the Gansfield experiment heightens any latent psychic abilities. Um, it's similar to the Estes Method. Essentially, what you do is create a sensory deprivation situation. You block off your sight. They would take ping pong balls that had been sawed in half and place them over Greg's eyes. They taped over those ping pong balls and then shined a big red light over his eyes. Then through his headphones, they pumped pure white noise into his ears. And I can say, Missy and I have done this type of uh, divination method. it is very intense for people who are already sensitive to mm-hmm. energy. Um, very quickly, you will start feeling like you're being touched and things like that. So the minute that Greg began the session, he started hearing things. Um, at first, he saw a crowd of people, um, and he said that he thought that he could hear the group yelling. Um, Greg couldn't tell what they were saying, though, which is very typical of paranormal activity. Quite often, you'll hear, like, mumbling. Oh, that's the worst. Yes, but you will have no idea what it's saying. The worst. It's just this unintelligible mumbling. Um, So, as this was taking place, the group is basically interacting with Greg, asking questions um, to see if they could get any sort of answers. 
Um, Greg then started saying that he felt like he was hearing people cheering, almost like he was at a high school football game. Around this time, the group starts asking questions and setting intentions with the entities in the caves to draw them closer. And as this is taking place, you can hear a car alarm honk in the background. The group acknowledges this and they ask Carl if he has his keys in his pocket. They basically ask him, did you hit your car alarm? And he denies it. So then Greg starts seeing a building. Greg asks, or Carl asks Greg and the entities, what are you? And Greg then says, I'm watching trees and street lamps pass. I'm looking out of the right side of a moving vehicle. I feel like I'm on a train. I just went through a tunnel. The group then hears someone whisper, guys. It sounded just like someone just at a very low whisper said, guys. Greg, ooh, that gave me goosebumps up the back of my head. Greg then starts saying that he feels like he's laying down in grass, looking up at the sky. He sees a ring of trees. He also says he started feeling extremely cold and feeling like he was vibrating. Hi, Loki Bear. <laughs> Logan is come to join us <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> oh. um, Feet are freezing. He said that he felt like he was vibrating, but that he felt like he was getting extremely cold. And I will say that when I'm doing mediumship readings, I get extremely cold yeah. when I'm doing them. Yeah. So it's that's definitely something when you get connected to spirit. I'll feel it in, like, specific spots. Like, not even necessarily, like, the whole room has changed, but, like, I'll feel it on my leg mm-hmm. or, like, one arm, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said that he had this sensation, like, he knew someone was standing over top of him. Um, and he started seeing a face with blue eyes. You can clearly hear Greg is starting to become distressed. His voice starts changing. He goes on to say that he is covered in cold that he has goosebumps, that he's still laying on the ground, staring up through the ring of trees. And he says that he felt like someone, again, was standing over top of him. He later says that he felt like that thing or a person that was standing over top of him was a gray alien with blue eyes. Ugh. Mm-hmm. And actually, before I go on, I had a really cool hit from the guys about gray aliens, about certain gray aliens. They said certain ones are not an actual sentient being. They are an artificial intelligence. I had no idea. What? He said they are an artificial intelligence. They're not really. They said obviously not every case of gray aliens, but some, they said, Uh are really some sort of artificial intelligence. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Greg, you can tell, like, throughout this experiment is stressed, um... Dana actually went and grabbed their temperature gauge to see if they could uh, get a temperature read on where Greg was sitting since he was so cold and really emphasizing that he was so cold. They found that where Greg was sitting, it was a degree warmer than everyone else in the cave. Yep. So that was weird. Greg started seeing flashing lights um, behind the tree stops, and then he said everything stopped. The white noise stopped. The recording started to buffer at that exact moment. Greg goes on to say that he felt like he was about to experience some sort of abduction scenario. Yeah. And at the exact moment when it was going to happen, the, the white noise started buffering and kind of jerked him out of that. Mm. So 
The group continues to look through the cave and explore. Um, they heard some really odd noises in response to very directed questions. They said at one point they were hearing like a little girl um, having this weird muffled conversation. Um, Dana ends up pulling out her tarot jack and doing a tarot card pull in the cave. She pulls the hanged man, which is signaling to look at the situation from a different perspective. Um, or seeing the world upside down, which is very interesting, seeing as everything fall backwards, you know, like no noises in the caves. Yeah. They were pulling cheese, trying to get information. Um, they also felt like the hanged man could be a reference to like as above, so below. Oh, yeah. With aliens being in space and the goblins representing the earth plane. So eventually the group gets Connor to do another Estes method in the cave. And this se- session seems to yield not a ton of info. And I've noticed this. This tends to happen. Um, and you will have an almost like this feeling like this session is done. We're obviously not getting anything from it. And even if you're the one doing the Estes method, you will have this feeling. Yeah. Like, this is gibberish. I feel yeah. like this is gibberish. Yeah, you'll hit those points where it's like, all right, I, there's mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah, this is done. Um, so about 10 minutes prior to ending their session, and I should say... They really didn't yield a ton in there. They had a conversation with the little girl they felt like they were experiencing in the cave. They also had an encounter with their spirit friend, Eddie, who they met at the Stanley. Eddie made me think of Austin. (laughs) Yeah? Um, Yeah, because they had met like a resident spirit at the Stanley Hotel that seemed to follow them through all of their investigations. So about 10 minutes prior to the end of the Estes Method session, Carl starts feeling like they got what they came for, like the session was over and it was done. So right before they packed up, Greg hears this odd vibration noise right by his right ear that feels like something was flapping by his right ear. Yet the entire group heard nothing. They heard this odd vibration noise. You okay? That happened recently. I had an experience like that a few months ago. I was outside and I felt like something... Didn't I have one? Yeah. Yeah. It felt like something buzzed up to my ear. Yes. Yeah. Because we talked about... That was like recent... Mm-hmm. I can't remember where I was, though. Yeah. I was out in our backyard, and... Yeah, because you told me that story when... Yeah. I mean, winter was well underway, y'all. So there was no big bugs, you know, flying around my backyard. And, and... it still fall. Huh? When this happened? Maybe. When's the first day of winter? I don't know. Isn't it like... <laughs> like <laughs> December? Now? Yeah. Is today the first day of winter? Oh, wow. I don't know. Anyways, but no, I had that happen. Yeah. I've had a some Yeah. It happened recently. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Anyways. But anyway. Um, so he felt like uh, something was flapping right by his ear. Yet the entire group hears the odd vibration noise. Um, I will say as a medium, yeah, I've had the same experience. Um, they felt like whatever had been in the cave had just rolled over and gone back to sleep is the feeling that they got. Today is the first day of winter. I don't know how I guessed that. Ooh. Anyways. It's continue. the winter solstice today. Mm, what does that mean? Winter solstice is like one of my favorites. Very high, uh, intense energy day. That's it's, why all those toys have been going off in my car today. It's when the night is the longest as opposed to the day. Mm. So this is like the pushing off point of winter. Winter's like taking its long winter nap. Oh gosh, why? Okay. <laughs> how can there be more questions? <laughs> Now? Oh, please. <laughs> please. Um, okay. So the group gets back to their cabin, and they decide to call their friend, John Tenney. 
And John Tenney is a longtime paranormal investigator. They go on to explain the situation and what they've experienced. John Tenney basically begins to tell them over the phone how many of the OG alien investigators eventually hit a point where they either went insane or got so weirded out that they stopped doing their research. Um, and even some of them, he said, committed suicide. It was just too much for them. Um, John goes on to say that he himself has felt this in the past, um, that he was sent so much weird stuff um, that it was almost pulling him and removing his focus from where it should be in terms of his everyday life. Yeah. Um, and he explains again that some investigators committed suicide over these high strangeness cases. Is... It was just too much for them. John Keel, who was the investigator in Mothman Prophecies, he eventually stopped writing books and investigating and only lectured about his past experiences. He went through a lot. He did. If you guys ever have a chance, y'all should really read John Keel's books. It's insane, the stuff that he went through. Uh, he goes on to say that you will lose your mind trying to find all the answers about this phenomenon. And this is like what my guides have said. Some knowledge is like poison. We're not meant to have it. It will ruin us. And I think this is some of that along the same lines. It's uh, like a million times what I felt when we went to Matthews and had that weird dimensional. Yeah. Like we're mm -hmm. on one street, but really not. And then were and then weren't. And I still yeah. can't wrap my brain around it my brain around it and it bothers me yeah yeah seriously you can imagine um again so this huge like cosmic trickster type of energy starts to arise and john tenney basically um says you know you got what you came for it isn't what you thought you came for but you got what you came for like the group basically said like they thought they were coming to make a documentary about this old man who thought he saw goblins coming out of a mine shaft on his yeah. property and how much of a Pandora's box Hellier is Seriously. and what it turned out to be is crazy. Um, so a few weeks later after returning from Hellier, the group is sitting in Greg Adina's house and Connor is looking at Greg's bookshelf and he notices Flying Saucers to the Center of Your Mind by John Keel. It's a collection of essays and lectures of his. And one of the first pages he turns to is an, a part of a novel from 1972. And it talks about the different common sounds that people will hear during times of high strangeness and UFO phenomena. Two sounds in particular that John Keel heard over and over from the countless witnesses and from his own experiences. One was of a baby crying and the other was the sound of an unseen car door slamming. So if you think about it, baby crying pops up everywhere mm -hmm. with elemental weirdness, cryptids, yeah. ghosts, UFOs, and high strangeness. I have a theory about this that I thought of while I was doing this, these notes. Well, what if it's not really a baby crying? And obviously it's not. And what if it's not an elemental? What if it's an entity entering this dimension and the sheer difference in their vibration is causing that high-pitched sound? Because, like, when my mediumship first opened and I was hearing spirits, I would hear spirits at this really weird, pitchy noise, like, ah, ah. That, I can't handle that. That was really, but it was because of their difference in vibration from us to this dimension, for what my guides have said. So, I, that's my theory, that there's something entering this dimension that is just not making the crossover. Um... 
but the car door slamming. The group didn't hear the car door slamming, but while they were in the cave, they heard a car door alarm. Right. So that's like the modern day equivalent yeah. of a car door slamming. It Think really about it. is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So Connor orders the book, The Flying Saucers, to the center of your mind, and the editor, uh, he found talked about how when he met John Keel in Point Pleasant, all these crazy synchronicities began to start happening. He goes on to say that I first met John Keel in 2003 at the unveiling of the Mothman statue in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Our visit with Keel sparked a flood of paranormal phenomena that lasted several years up until Keel's death. The synchronicities were so stunning that I began to write primarily about the subject and how it might play into the UFO and Mothman phenomena. My basic discovery was that synchronicity can be used as a research tool and that the psychic powers associated with Mothman and the natural UFOs can be harnessed for good, for creative purposes, or even for healing. So through Keel's advice and inspiration, I was able to expand enough um, of the matter uh, to basically name the field synchromysticism. This idea of utilizing synchronicities and psychic abilities greatly in intrigued Keel. He was, I think, trying to come up with ways to save the world from its imminent destruction by us, they said. So months later, uh, Carl is rereading Mothman prophecies and finds this passage. Early investigators eventually concluded that such demons did not really exist, even though they often left footprints behind and caused physical damage. They coined the word chimera to describe them. While chimeras can come in all sizes and shapes, ranging from 20-foot giants to animated tin cans, only a few feet or inches in size. So are these ultra-terrestrials like playing games with us? Are they the chimera? Um, you know, it's interesting that this chimera can appear as an animated tin can. When a tin can was dropped into Connor's mind during yeah. the Estes method, they saw a tin can in the one. cave. Yeah. Um, so are they playing games with us? Um, is Indrid Cold a chimera? Um, are the goblins a chimera? Um, they found to have such a direct link to Indrid Cold in a tin can is insane to me. But at the heart of it all, what did the group discover? Um, they originally said that, you know, they just thought this was going to be this documentary about this man, um, you know, that saw goblins. And it turned into so much more. So the last uh, episode or the last, basically, moment of Hell Your Season 1 is another email coming into Greg's phone. <laughs> what are you saying, Logan? Oh. So another email comes in. And guys, if you haven't seen Hell Your Season 2, more emails come. Yep. So that's where we're going to leave it from there. Oh. I know. I know. So good. I want my own high strangeness case. Listen. I love it. I love it. Yeah. But that takes so much, like, time and... Yeah. Imagine how much the rest of your life would suffer with your when you're just focusing on... True. So intently on this one thing that may never be solved it's true um just want to know i want to know all the things let's go back out to old house woods there's a lot of weirdness out there i'm just scared i know um i forgot that we didn't talk about the fact that i found the book <gasps> yes you guys the book that went missing from missy's house like a year and a half ago yeah popped this up summer? it was last summer 
It was last summer because I was pregnant with lotion. Mm -hmm. Um, I borrowed this book, the, um, what is it? The Vengeful Gin. Mm -hmm. When we were talking about like weird. We were talking about cave weirdness. Yeah. That's how long ago it's been. I think it was the Kentucky Goblins episode. Probably. So it's weird that we are wrapping it up right now and I found the book. (gasps) Oh my gosh. I didn't even think about that. Until right now when I said it. I did not even think about that. Guys, like, I legit, because Missy was stressed, and I was like, I'm not stressed about this. I know this book is going to turn up. But I didn't know how it could be possible, because if y'all haven't heard the story, what happened is I borrowed this book. I thought I borrowed two books from Christina, but I, apparently I borrowed three. So I got these books, and I thought I borrowed, anyway, it doesn't matter. I borrowed this one, and I started reading that, because it's what we were talking about. And I was reading it in bed, and I, you know, finished a little bit, left it on my nightstand, and like the next night or night after, I picked it up to read it again, and I started reading where I left off, and I'm like, wait a minute, this none of this sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. So I look, it's not even the same book. It's a different book that I wasn't even reading. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? I didn't even know I borrowed that book. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, and then I go, and there's only one other book on the nightstand, which is the other one I knew I had borrowed. Mm-hmm besides the vengeful gin and i'm like how do i have three books i don't i really did not remember barring three i looked under my bed around my bed i tore this house apart Mm -hmm. and i mean it bothered me we referenced it on a lot of episodes because it really bothered me i'm like where did my kid take it like (laughs) what you know is it torn up somewhere in a corner Mm -hmm. and the other day i was like guides if I lost it, just say that. Like, just tell me if I've lost this book. If I took it somewhere and didn't think, I don't, I mean, how could I have? I yeah. couldn't have. Either way, I am very absent-minded at times. I forget things. So I was like, if I took this to read it somewhere and lost it, I wish I would just know that because I would just buy a new book. Yeah. And not try to look for it. So the other day, we have these lights over our island that keep burning out. Mm-hmm. We will keep fi- putting this one in. It keeps burning out. Mm-hmm. So finally they both burn out, and I'm like, I know I bought extra light bulbs. Of course I can't find them. I got up in the cabinet, was looking around, um, and all of a sudden I look right in front of me. Well, I kind of passed over, and I'm like, wait, what is this book? Because mm-hmm. there were some cookbooks, and one of them was black. And I look. It is the Vengeful Gin in my kitchen cabinet at a level where I can't even reach it to put it away unless I have a step stool. That's crazy to me. And. And Missy is one of the shortest people I know. I, <laughs> I so am. she couldn't reach I that couldn't. part. I couldn't. And I'm standing on a stool going, are you kidding me? Because here's another thing. I have clutter and I hate it and I try to be good about it. But my husband has brought me this organizer. But even when he sees that on the counter, he won't tidy up my things. He doesn't put my things away. Mm-hmm. But that was in my bedroom. Yeah, you put it down on my in the nightstand. Bedroom and then picked it up. And all of a sudden. In the top kitchen as, cabinet. As we're finishing Hellier. Yeah. About the Kentucky Goblins. As we're closing this chapter on the Kentucky Goblins from over a year ago, mm-hmm. a year and a half ago, here's that book. That's so crazy. Please don't let me forget to give it to you because Lord knows I can't <laughs> handle you losing it again. I know. I know. That was crazy though. That's wild. It was like the top kitchen cabinet. I cannot get over how, this is totally off topic guys, but Logan is crawling and pushing himself up and doing all the things. These pandemic babies. I know. Listen, he's he went like, from not moving to moving, <laughs> and he's like pulling up and like leaning over things, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I know it's the right time because they start crawling. I guess average around nine months, and he's ten months. But Lord knows he started to do everything in one week. Really? Yeah. Pandemic baby. Crawling, pulling up, and almost standing. 
That's not your gift. What are you doing? All right, y'all. This was Hellier 3. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe we'll we come back. We should do. Season 2. Season 2. We should. Yeah. Take a little break. Um, I have an episode I want to do. Yes. Um, Lord knows. I'm going to open that gift. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll do season 2. I think we should. Yeah. Season two is awesome. You know where to find us. You know where to follow us. And if you don't, then go back to our other episodes because it's on every one of them. Everyone. Bye. Bye, guys.